Here in Enid, we are familiar with trains. You would have to live way, way outside of town to be somewhere that you couldn't at least hear the horn from the trains at the crossings. And most of us are close enough that we can hear even the rumble independent from the horn. And unless somehow you only have to drive north-south on Van Buren, we all get stuck behind trains sometimes. Trains, of course, do a huge amount of work for the economy and are an essential part of the way America functions. But for most of us, most of our day-to-day experience of trains is is that they are loud, long, and hard to navigate. If you are stuck at the crossing at Garriott, you can't just dart over to Randolph because, well, it's there too. If you are stuck at the crossing at Willow, Cleveland won't do you any good. Trains are not in our way 24-7, but we can hear, see, and be stuck behind them quite frequently. Today the Magi have finally come to see the child Jesus. We are out of the manger now, by the way. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus have found more stable residence than a stable. The Magi come to a house. Jesus is probably around two years old. But the Holy Family is still as poor and humble as ever. And so far, there aren't many Christians. We can count Mary and Joseph and probably the shepherds that came to see Jesus back at his nativity, but not any more. But with the Magi visiting, the faith, even if Christ has not yet spoken a word, is already starting to spread to the whole world. The Magi represent all of the nations outside of the Jews, all those who would be called pagans, those who were not worshippers of the one true God. But these outsiders came, recognizing that there was something special here, something beyond their own philosophies and wisdom, something universal and beyond the gods of sun, moon, earth, and wind, which they probably worshipped. Here at Epiphany, which means enlightening, we see a preview of what is to happen later when St. Paul goes out to the Gentile nations and brings the wisdom of Christ to those who used to worship other gods. Today is but a foreshadowing of the great evangelization of the world that will come later. And so now we can look around gladly and see that the whole world is Christian, right? Well, no, that is sadly not true. It was kind of true in the Middle Ages, at least in the sense that what Western culture knew of the world was more or less Christian. But the Protestant Reformation and later the Enlightenment, ironically, have turned back the spread, stability, and influence of Christianity. And it's worse than just lack of missionary zeal. The Western world is turning pagan again, and not even the quaint, philosophical, well-intentioned kind of paganism that we might imagine from the Magi. The world we know is turning pagan in the worst kind of way, blatantly worshipping things that are not God, as if they are God. I challenge you to pay attention this week. What does the society around you worship? An obvious thing that people worship is money. The worship of money looks like stamping down our conscience to make an extra dollar. The worship of money looks like rejecting God's command to care for our neighbors, rejecting God's command to care for the planet, rejecting God's command to share our resources so that the bottom line or the stock portfolio can be maximized. Communism or socialism are not the answer either, by the way. Private property is a Christian value. But we have an obligation to do God's work with the resources that we are given, not to worship those resources. Another pagan value is the worship of man. 
be it a celebrity, a political figure, an athlete, or similar? Do you take Kanye's advice instead of the Gospels? Do you hang on every word of President Trump, yet not heed the words of Jesus Christ? Is LeBron James your guiding light, or the God-man who is the light of the world? The third and most dangerous is the worship of self. In the worship of self, everyone has their own little kingdom of opinion. Anything that falls outside of that deserves to be shouted down. Every thought and desire becomes a self-righteous crusade, a psychological selfie. Everything is sacrificed to the whim and feelings of the masses. The church is wrong about marriage because, well, I disagree and that hurts my feelings. And I don't think that's what I don't think that's what love is, so it has to be wrong. And what is wrong must be destroyed. This is what a pagan culture says. A culture that is willing to bow down and worship anything, really, except for God. Back to the trains. We might like to think that these pagan problems are some problem of our outside world, but that they aren't our problems. But that simply isn't true. Just like the trains in Enid, we can't avoid the sight, sound, and even physical presence of these pagan problems. And even more, instead of ignoring them or fighting to get past them, many Catholics are even hopping right on board these trains. But these tracks don't lead anywhere good. In fact, trains of worshipping man, money, and self follow their tracks to only one destination, the alienation from God that is hell. So we must absolutely jump off of these trains that are only headed to ruin. There is only one train that we want to be on. The only train that leads anywhere good is the train, that is, the traveling company of the three wise men, that came bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the baby Jesus. That is the track that we want to follow. But how do we do that? How do we abandon one train and board another? It is difficult, but nothing could be more worthwhile. To figure out how, let us look at the wise men whom we propose to follow and take our lead from them. We should thank God for our gold, and then give him the necessary amount. When God blesses us with anything, even just enough to keep a roof over our head and some food on the table, we ought to give him thanks. Remember, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. If he gives us even more, we ought to give thanks even more. Come light a candle for every digit in your bank account. But we also have an obligation to return in gratitude some of what we have been given. If you have no idea where to start, shoot for 10%. It might seem hard at first, but treating the gold we have in this way, that is, giving it to Jesus like the wise man did, will help us remember not to worship it, and we will be happy and wise for it. The second gift is frankincense, incense like we use at Mass. When we burn incense here in the church, you will notice that it rises upward from the thurible. It is our prayers rising up to God. When our prayers rise up to God, they go above the ground level. They go above ourselves and other human beings. When we lift our prayers to God, we are less tempted to worship other human beings down here on the same level as us. The third gift is myrrh, an oil, an oil used to anoint the body for death. When we think of death, we are reminded that this experience on earth is temporary, that, we re that we're really not that important after all, at least as far as the world goes. 
Yes, we have our opinions and we may think we look fantastic with a new haircut, but when we remember that we are only dust and to dust we shall return, like the billions who came before us, we are at least a little bit less inclined to boil and rage about the latest thing that the internet or popular culture is frothing about. There are all kinds of trains that are bisecting our lives, like the BNSF Railroad bisects Enid, calling out to us with their whistles and rumbles, distracting us, getting in our way, and even asking us to jump on board and go where they are going. They all lead to ruin except one. The train that is going toward Jesus Christ to offer him the gifts that he has given us in this life, most importantly, our worship of him, who is our Savior above all things. If we keep our priorities straight and pay attention pay attention to that we are not on the wrong train, we will be truly wise. If we seek after Christ, we will fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah. Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick clouds cover the peoples. But upon you, the Lord shines and over you appears his glory.